If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair. I'm here with Luke Jenner of many projects i i think maybe most of you would would know most notably the rapture but his solo ep came out today or or one of the songs from his forthcoming album came out today and it's awesome uh it's on a new label that that he started we'll we'll get into all of that but um we were talking just about like catch up shit and luke is sitting with a fish tank right behind him and i was like that's awesome and he asked me uh, if i've ever had one and to answer your question about the longest i've ever lived anywhere um i pretty much every place i have is like three years i think but i don't it's not like i stay there it's not it's not like there's been a period of my life where i'm waking up in that place every day for three years it's more like I'm always in and out of that place, always bouncing, you know, be it like you and I would DJ together sometimes. Like back when I was living in New York, it would be like touring. I would be gone for two months or something like that. Uh, Since when I lived in Los Angeles, when I lived in Los Angeles was probably the the most straight time in one place because I like I had a job. I went to an office every day and I didn't leave much. What was your job? I, I was at Apple Music working on the streaming service. Right. So yeah. I lived in West Hollywood and I went to Culver City and I left here and there. But like most of my work was physically being there. And since then, I've been like right now, I've been in this place in Mexico for four months. And that's the first time I've been anywhere more than like two months since 2017, 2016. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> quarantine you know but your fish look amazing i mean they're my friends you know they're 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 alive like they're not really afraid of me like we know each other you know so like love a, that. We, we have a thing going on and you have a cat also right i we just got a cat uh maybe like three weeks ago and she is taking up all of my time and energy in a really nice way <laughs> um love it She's a Siamese cat and she's very talkative and like she likes to play a lot. And I mean, it's really cool. When I, I grew up in a really dysfunctional house and we had a lot of animals and stuff. And my mom, <laughs> who is this kind of like suicidal, bipolar, uh, amazing artist person, would just like get in really deep with our animals. So I'd always be like, cool, I'm gonna bring home this cat or something. And then she would just- She was down, yeah. She'd just make best, she would like psych, you know, she was a witch. So like her, she would just psychically bond with the animal and and spend every waking moment with it. And then like, it wasn't my animal anymore. So this is the first chance I've had in adult life to have like freedom oh, wow. of 
freedom of animal life. I mean, I, my fish are, we're really close, but your fish don't cuddle you at nighttime, right. usually. I mean, I are they can, but you know. You unlock the ability to, to share and connect with certain emotions with animals that sometimes they hold that for us. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a really verbal person. Most people know me. I'm just, like, super chatty, and they're just like, man, can you just shut up? Like, you have some, like, I oftentimes start conversations like, I just watched this documentary, and then I'll just talk, like, a lot, you know? Um, and <laughs> my wife is, like, you know, she's she's kind of amazed because we've been together 20 years, and she's like, I've never seen this part of you. Like, I don't know this kind of, like, nonverbal side of you that's very kind of sweet and vulnerable in a different way than it's it's I kind of just I'm like a little boy with the cat you know it's like it's me and my five-year-old self and this like cat I love it I, I don't have any pets right now but I just because I'm like living in I'm, I'm in I'm not really in like any I'm kind of in a purgatory right now in the middle of nowhere but that's I love now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny. I started referring to it like that the past few weeks. It actually, so I broke my foot. And that's when I started realizing, oh my God, this is kind of like I'm in purgatory because I'm in paradise. Like yeah. right in front of me is the ocean. I'm in this beautiful, beautiful, I'm in, an, I'm in an incredible house. Like everything around me is gorgeous. But I've been here for four months by myself and five months. Yeah, five months. Um, and, you know, I'm really like, I wake up, I, you know, I come downstairs and I just like do things and then I go back upstairs and I go to sleep and that's like life. And it's very much like this, uh, there's this Paolo, Paolo Sorrentino film where this guy lives in this like Baroque, beautiful hotel and puts on a suit every day and goes downstairs and plays chess and like eats really well and then like goes upstairs and goes back to sleep. And he's in this like self-punishment um purgatory basically but like self yeah. you know self-inflicted and it's funny because i i've been i love it i love what i'm doing right now but but since i broke my foot has been a little more challenging because i'm not like like i'm sitting here and my fucking foot hurts you know so it's not actually like pleasurable you know it's not like yeah, yeah. i'm sitting here reading and and drinking tea and enjoying the sunset like my foot hurts so it's not it sucks and I can't go in the water anymore. I can't do the things that are like blissful for me. So now it's, now I'm like, wow, this is kind of like purgatory. I like, I like to think of it as like a forced meditation. Yeah. You're that's how I've been like thinking a, you're about You're in like it. a forced meditation. Yeah. I've been thinking about it that way for this whole time. And I've been actually like really good with my meditation routine, like twice a day. And like, I've felt it to be this really, uh, I wouldn't even call it spiritual because it's just going inside yourself, you know? And it's been wonderful. I've been unlocking so much. I really feel, you know, comfortable with how emotional it's all been. How do you, how do you feel about the word God? Is that like a book? Like a lot of times, I, I don't say God until I get someone's permission because a lot of times people have been hurt by that word. So I just, I'm it's like- certainly not a- sensitive i'm not sensitive to it i'm i i, I have no negative feelings around the concept of okay, god that's good. yeah i sure. i will say that like let me say i am absolutely open to whatever anyone 
decides for themselves. If someone yeah. wants to have their life driven, you know, by what God tells them, either through their mind or through a book, like absolutely more power to you, complete support to that. Um, I personally am not, I don't follow, um, I think time is God. Time is the, you know, we're given a, f a fixed amount of time and we don't entirely know what, what it is and we do with it what we choose. So we have unlimited choice within these boundaries, but time is, is God. And that's how I kind of think about it. But I do not, I don't personally believe that there is, like I believe uh, in karma more practically um, and God more practically. Like I believe that when you do good things, you know, good things happen to you and stuff like that. But I don't think that it's mystical. I think how about, that it's how about How about previous karma? Like, do you think that, you're, you're here to work off karma from like other times or the karma of the universe or anything. Are you into that kind of idea? I don't know is how I kind of think about it is that I, I have no way of knowing. And all I have is what I can work with. And I'm open to a more like cyclical existence. I'm open to the idea of that, yeah. that I'm, process i'm going through a particular cycle and you know either i will reset or someone else will take over afterwards and someone was before me or i reset i, I i'm open to those ideas i just don't know so right. and that's yeah. not a gnosticism that's not like a, a, a positivism um statement there i'm just literally like owning uh acknowledging the limits of my you know my my power to understand my powers what, of comprehension. What was your like upbringing? Do your parents or the people who you grew up around and influence you, do they have like some sort of conception of this stuff or are they just like, what? Like I'm Jewish. So I was raised like proper Jewish Orthodox. Um, it wasn't very, I, I was given both. So I had, <clears throat> I'm very definitively Jewish by blood, secular. And I'm raised Orthodox Jewish, but it wasn't imposed upon, while it was offered to me as like, I had heavy duty bar mitzvah studies and all of that. And I did everything, you know, like four and a half hours, no vowels, memorized everything. Like I could basically be the rabbi like at that level. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't imposed upon me. Like you have to do this because God told you to. No one ever told right, me. Right. It's, not, it's not punitive. Sure. Yeah. yeah cool. So I, I went through it and it was grueling, but no one ever told me, my parents told me God was school. God was assimilation actually to, okay. to my parents, which, which is a conflict for me uh, yeah. that I still grapple with. And I was actually like having a long talk about it the other day where I have this rich, beautiful Jewish background, but that wasn't imposed upon me. What was imposed upon me was honestly what I feel to be like a white people version of ideology that like, you have to go to this good school and you have to do these things and for society. And I was like, I don't give a shit about society. I think I'm actually even better than society. I like my real background better, um, yeah. you know, and I like art. You're, you're a seeker. You sound like a seeker. I mean, uh, <laughs> How do you feel about these things? Yeah, I would I would define seeker as somebody who uh, puts curiosity above all else. Okay, 
Do you, would, would you identify as that? Is that, is that the, is the most important thing in your life, your curiosity? Are you kind of no. like, no. What, what's the most curiosity must serve the building of things and thereby universe. I believe that we are powerful enough. We build our own universes and we have to, we, we, we uh, wake up to make stuff. And that's, that's very like faith without works is dead then. Right. That's sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's like, so curiosity is cool. If curiosity is a means to, (laughs) but if I am just curious for the sake of curiosity, uh, actually it's funny. I got reminded of an essay I wrote like five years ago. Uh, cause my friend is taking a class and it's in the class and it was like, this is the coolest thing ever that this random post that I made is yeah. like in a college course. Yeah. And it's about the destructive aspect of, um, like the, the detective, the seeker that all of that. So I love the seeker, but it must be in service. It cannot right, so be exclusive. So what are you serving and what do you want to make, I guess, is the operative uh, question. Sure. Uh, well, right now, what we're doing, I think, I mean, coming into this conversation, I am not interested in giving people a rundown of the history of the rapture and your solo projects. That's not important, but <laughs> I am interested sure. in... Sure going deeper into your personal sensitivities and how those have been involved in the making of, of all of your work and thereby the life of an artist. I am interested in, in explicating on that, on the mental health aspects, not, not, I don't mean straight up like schizophrenia and and depression and stuff. I mean, just the well-being, you know? And I think that the rest of my work, abides by those same principles. I believe in understanding above expression. So when I make a film, so the rest of my life is like making music and film mainly, and my film needs to, there's a directive to the film. The film needs to learn something in the making, like I need to learn and the people involved need to be learning and we need to be providing that, giving that to, people need to watch it and, and, understand not just get like not just get oh sean said stuff it can't just be expression it has to be understanding and it's really hard to do that and that's so, yeah. do you need to be understood to be fulfilled i don't need to understand i valueless if people do not understand something it doesn't need to be the exact you know the precise understanding that i uh, want for them how would you how would you define understanding like for me for example like god is a feeling it's not an idea so like how do you know that love exists like you feel it right it's not like you come up with a math equation so like you know understanding for me is feeling uh not necessarily thought i i i i i think i i agree and i want to embody feelings i've had in the making of the film and provide that process for someone else to feel, yeah, you know what, this is a good way to look at it, I think what you just said, because one of the things that I do in the film is I leave ambiguous the- Yeah, you gotta leave space for other people, yeah. Exactly, and I don't tell (laughs) them how I feel about this particular issue that is being dealt with. 
Sure. I know how I feel, but I do not, you wouldn't be able to know for sure by watching the film. And I leave that to them. So I, what I did, the making of the film is an attempt at my bottling this experience that I had to put someone else through a similar kind of experience, their feelings, their version of those feelings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like I, I, I use the word love in my writing all the time. People are like, why do you use, why do you, all your songs to say love? Cause it's the most like ambiguous, it's the easiest to read into. Like, you know, if somebody says, I believe, I love you, you should be really careful with that. You should, you know, they probably don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> like, so you need to clarify that. And so making art with the word love is a really simple way to leave a bunch of space. I think love is a it, love carries a huge responsibility, not just weight, but responsibility. And I, I spoke recently of I used love in a way that I felt was like an in, like a horrible violation. I did me like I made <laughs> you a mistake. You're, you're feeling some stuff there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. This was a while. This was now yeah. a while ago, I guess. This yeah, was let's, like ta let's talk about it. End yeah, of the year. <laughs> but oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I did. I, I think it was bad. Like yeah. I look back on it. No, I Tell told me. someone. I told. I, I was in a in a relationship that I, I, I used the phrase before I should have. And I used it in a way that what I thought was giving, but really it was pressuring and it was taking and it was, it was just wrong. It was love, love can be a gun to the head, you know, like it can exactly. really be like, that's what so I that's, did. That's what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, 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 we, we've all done that. Yeah. I, I hadn't done it before. Uh, well, congrats. Welcome to the, <laughs> welcome. You know? It I'm was the you, first time. You did that. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. It was job. the least I've understood my feelings in my life like That's with great, another man. person what a, what yeah. a fantastic uh, problem and, and mistake I'm, uh, <laughs> you know like, i'm sorry that you hurt yourself no and, no no um, it's fine you know, it's... but, but uh, you know it sounds good to me it showed me how much i have to learn and how you know how how little we can ever master these things and how fluid it all is and Romantic love is easily the hardest thing to achieve in the world. It's it's like makes like making a film look so easy. I mean, like you know, or or being a parent's like way easier than being than to be. Um, almost nobody knows how to do it, and if you know how to do it, you're basically like a saint. You know, like mm -hmm. there's it's just like it's the amount of people who front on that is a lot. It's also kind of like. I know very many people, uh, particularly in the arts, who just think it's a myth. Like, they're just like, it doesn't, that doesn't right. exist. That's not like a real thing. It's like the holy grail to them. They're like, that's not even a real thing. But you got married right around the time when, you know, right? But I, you, I, you're breaking up a little bit. I got married what? You got married around when your first record came out. Um, right? Yeah, I mean, a little after? well, I, no, it was, it was right then and, you know, um, well, I was around, you know, when House of Jealous Lovers was coming out and I was sort of achieving everything that I wanted to achieve. House of Jealous Lovers for me is like the pinnacle of my achievement. You know, I just wanted to like be in this little nugget in history and kind of like be a, a part of some sort of historical operative, you know? And That's really cool to hear you say that because I would agree. 
And I wouldn't say that if you didn't say that because some people get weird about doing like something is legendary and it's just, yeah. being weighed differently than the rest. No, but that was, that was why I got married in a sense was because all the pressure was off. It was like, I know now that on my tombstone, it will be like Luke Jenner, <laughs> House of Joe, and that's it. Or like the, if there's like a three line obituary, that's what it says, right? So, and that's like pressure off, right? Then I can just disappear. I can for focus on the internal because you can't like get any higher than that in terms of external for me, for like somebody who's like works at record stores and is like historian and all that stuff, right? I worked like, at Republic at that time when when you when the record got you know inherited from the UK yeah. signing, uh, yeah. whoever did yeah. it, Gary Gersh yeah. or something. Gary but Gersh, I yeah. I remember I was there and I told Monty and Avery Lipman, I was yeah. like, you know, you have a record that is like the most important record you're ever gonna have, <laughs> and 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 they like took a second and they were like, oh, oh, oh. like <laughs> yeah. So I was an so, intern, yeah. So for me, like my whole life until that point was about reading a lot of histories. My dad's a university professor um, and he was really into case studies, business management professor. My mom's an art therapist. Uh, and, you know, my dad is just like, research is king. Like look a lot of, you know, I just watched every music documentary, tried to figure out where history was going and just put this little thing, this put this little pin like in the map and it totally worked. And I was like, holy shit, that actually like worked. And like everyone around the project, you know, the DFA guys and stuff, they, we were all just like, I think we're gonna, I think this is gonna work, you know? And then uh, we had this moment where like Andy Weatherall played it and, and online, it was just really, and we all looked up to him because, you know, particularly I was really influenced oh, by such a great Scream, Scream Adelica and just his whole thing, right? Like he's kind of one of those guys that's just like, everybody who Primal knows about him loves about. him yeah and like we talked so, about andrew a lot on the last uh, on a, a few episodes ago uh with chloe Renee, who's car who was like mm -hmm. basically lived and worked with him for the last chunk of years and yeah yeah amazing, so amazing. so i was just like and i started meeting all these crazy people like david bowie called me and my favorite band's the cure and the cure's like let's go on tour and then we eventually went on tour with death and call stuff so it was like I don't need more validation than that. Like there isn't any better award than that, you know, or, you know, we played at Coachella five times. We played at every music festival and it's just like, okay, so I can make a lot more money and I can go here. But for me, it was like, my response was like, I want to get married and I want to begin the hard work of, I think people wake up in stages and, you know, the first stage is physical. And then if you, you know, this, the second stage is spiritual and the third stage is like emotional and actually like being emotionally alive and aware is what it takes to have a healthy romantic relationship. And it is the hardest thing to do. And you have to like pass through all these stages, right? Like also I knew like when House of Jealous Lovers came out, I was like, I could probably make a living for the rest of my life. Not like a crazy amount, but I don't have to sleep on anyone's couch anymore. If, unless I do something really messed up and you know, we had signed a big record contract and I had some money in the bank. Uh, not a lot, but enough like that, you know, sometimes I still turn to it. And it's just kind of like my ultimate dream was I grew up in a, a house where my parents just fought all the time. They loved each other profoundly, but they couldn't express that love. You know, like I always say, like, love is not enough. Like just because you love someone or just because love exists, it doesn't mean that you have access to it, you know? Like I've really suffered with my father over the years and I've worked really hard to be in a place where I don't need anything from him. So I can just go down and be like, all right, like I know that you love me somewhere in there and like whatever you have to offer me, even if it's just talking about the New York Times 
or some lecture that, you know, like I can accept, I can just be like, all right, like, that's cool, you know? But that's like a lot of work. Like I remember sitting at a table with my wife in 2006, you know, or sometime thereafter, 2008, and just being like, I just want to murder my dad. Like, I just want to, I have, I am feeling rage. I just want to kill this guy. And I don't like feeling that way, but I also can't not feel that way. And rage is a really intense, um, rage means that you can't afford to feel anymore. It's like beyond feeling. Like you've just got, like if someone is feeling rage, you can't reason with them. You can't be like, you shouldn't feel rage because then they'll just, it doesn't work. So you, all, the only thing when something, you can just say, I hear you, that makes sense and give them space, right? And then if, if you get, if they're in anger and sadness, you can kind of like talk to them. So I had to kind of like go back to anger, sadness, and then I kind of got into the spiritual work. Like the last Rapture record was really all just prayers. And I got really, in, I went to church every day for a year and a half, prayed with nuns, got a spiritual advisor, joined a church class. Called in the grace of your love. Yeah, and the grace of your love. So like, I just, you know, I put my dad on the cover surfing, it was very intentional. Like, you know, he's kind of like in the shape of a cross. And like, I made this kind of like covert Christian record. I didn't come out and be like, all right, like, but I just listened to tons of gospel music and I, and like, uh, I was also a philosophy major, so I've always been open to a lot of past. I really wanted to be a Buddhist. I was really just like, that totally aligns with my political views. And like, that's very, it's cool. It doesn't mess anything up. I ended up becoming like a Christian, but I didn't want to be. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, especially like the Catholics, the Catholics are fucked up, man. Like the Catholics, you know, they're not friendly to women. They're not friendly to gay people. They're not like, it's just kind of like, I mean, there are segments of the Catholic population, but just like, you know, it's, it's the first corporation in the world. Like they have a terrible track record, but I just ended up there and I loved it. I mean, there's, you know, there's people that are into that, you know, like Patty Smith and the, you know, there's, there's a precedent for that, right? You don't have to be like a douchebag if you're a Catholic, there's like, you know, Henry now and, and uh, you know, seven story mountain and all these things. But like, I think, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, trying to get into the realm of feeling. And most people don't really know what feeling is. Like, for me, God and feeling are the same thing, actually. But uh, once again, like, you know, you kind of have to define your terms, because what I mean by feeling is not what other, like, I don't, I even, I didn't, ha I would say that I wasn't even really aware of my feelings at all until, like, maybe seven or eight years ago. Like, I even during grace of your love period rapture like i was just really high on spirit like so it wasn't i wasn't necessarily feeling yet like there's a terror in that record like there's a when people first get that's why you know evangelicals are really dangerous or people are fundamentalists or people that get really you can get like blitzed on god like you can be high as balls on god and just be like everybody has to do this like this is the way like there's only one way to do things and like it's fucking dangerous. I mean, that's what, you know, we kill, people get killed over that stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, Judaism is not, uh, is not Judaism for some reason doesn't get a lot of criticism, but yeah, the misogyny and the homophobia and Judaism has always sucked. I, I don't know why people don't talk about it. Um, I think it's just, you know, we're not there yet. Like, also, it's just really uncool. Like, all religion is generally really uncool. For me, it's really dangerous to, I mean, Judaism's like five, it's like 5,000 years of wisdom to just be like completely dismissive and be like, 
all right, these people were homophobic and misogynistic, so they have nothing to offer us. That's like oh really no, dangerous. not like, not saying that at all. No, I mean I'm a I'm no, no, I know you're not. I'm not I know you're. Yeah. I know you're not saying that. But I think, yeah. like, you know, like particularly touring Europe and playing in churches. Like, I played in all these churches. Uh, oh, you a did. Few, wow. A few years back in Europe, and they're not churches anymore. Like all, oh, the, okay. like Europeans are just like, God is stupid. Like anybody who's in a religion is an idiot. Like you know, any like self-respecting, educated, like the Enlightenment has been taken to the nth degree. Like my dad's is, you know, his he has a profound relationship with the ocean because uh, he's a semi-professional surfer and he still goes to it every day, lives by it, he walks on it. Like he's, he's re you know, he can look at uh, the, the water and just, he sees things that I can't see and, I, and he feels things that I can't feel. But also he's very much like, you know, university is a religion too. And my dad is a scholar and that's a religion. Like that's, people don't talk about that really, but. Yeah, know. that's exactly how I felt with, you know, I had Judaism on the one hand and then I had like the school that my parents sent me to on the other hand. And it felt much more dogmatic, the school that I went to, like I needed to be, my brother and sister are like more part of the family because they were more part of the school. And the beginning of my not being as much part of the family as they are, my parents would not co-sign what I'm saying at all, but it's, it's, I mean, the That's fact, okay. you, you it's can say like, what you want. You're, yeah, it's no, okay I, I'm, I, of course, I know I'm, I'm going to say it regardless, but, but I mean, they would never acknowledge this, which is absurd to me because it's so clear. But um, yeah, it, like my brother and sister did the things that my parents signed them up for and I didn't. Yeah. And that became, you know, I call my family, I'm a, a, I don't know if you are a sports guy at all, but like a box plus one, like a zone defense in basketball okay, cool. where you have nice, the four yeah. and then one roaming like the Kobe. <laughs> and uh, I'm like the one who yeah. ends up logging a lot more miles. You know, I cover the ball and sure. I'm the, I'm, I'm probably like the number one option, but they're a unit and they react to one another and they do everything in, 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 you know, they're cohesive. And I am just kind of doing whatever I'm doing. I'm technically part of it, but I'm like on my own. I'm, I'm that guy. I, I, yeah. I don't understand what you are saying theoretically. I am that thing. Are you comfortable with that? I mean, that's a hard role to play. That's, that's you know, I felt- It's not a matter of comfort. It's just a matter of it is, you know, it's what yeah, it is. But, so you're accept, you're, accept, you're not, it's not causing you pain currently. Uh, I mean, it's like saying it's similar to like my broken foot, like, I have a perpetually broken foot too from sports yeah. from growing yeah, up. Yeah. They, yeah. they break once or twice a year, literally yeah. like this is regular yeah. practice in my life. Um, I don't get down about, I'm not like, fuck man. Like, you know, it, it, it's just part of like, I have disagreements with my family that are upsetting, but it's part of being a It's like, you talked about your mom, you, you were surrounded by like, you know, wafts of mental illness and, and outbursts yeah. and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I have here and there, it becomes, I get reminded practically and, and emotionally that my family doesn't want me to be the way I am. That's pain. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. It's painful. I mean, for me, no, it's just, yeah. Yes. And no. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to accept, you don't have to accept. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know, I don't I'm say speaking, it to ask I'm, for like sympathy. I, yeah. I, I, no, I, I feel that I, I guess I'm speaking to myself. I'm sorry for my own boss. <laughs> I, I, you know, like <laughs> I, I, um, I just know, I know what that's like. I mean, I think loneliness is, is, is the central problem of humanity for me, or it's been sure. my central problem. Um, 
And, and it's not I think it's more revealed to- right now during this pandemic time than ever that the way that people are behaving is driven by loneliness more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, people that are lonely are really dangerous. I'm very dangerous when I'm lonely. I mean, yeah. you know, the kid who's saying House of Jealous Lovers is like fucking pissed and like really lonely. And there's just like a rage, like that is straight rage. And like, you know, that's why it resonated so hard because, you know, there's there's this uh, undercurrent of, of rage and loneliness. It's always there. It's because we're on pause, it's it's surfaced. And, it's, and, and rage is necessary. It's like a forest fire, you know, it burns things down, it renews things. But, you know, it's, um, it's not the end of, uh, I mean, I don't know what it is. Like, I like that. Yeah, I used to feel rage. I don't, I haven't felt rage in a long time, not at my family. That's what I wanted uh, to know, essentially. Yeah, well, I, I felt rage throughout my youth at my family. Uh, I broke off in segments, I'd say, you know, like starting in high school, like I had a girlfriend who was older than me who had a, you know, who had her own place. And I would just, it was just progressively like getting my own life. Um, And then college. And then after that, uh, eventually, you know, just, just progressively building my own existence. And um, you get less and less anger Like it takes, it it would be, I don't know what the next thing that would get me angry at my family would be. Like I've been, I kind of know what everything that makes me angry is. And and like, it's, it's, it's like my foot. It's like your, my foot is going to re-break, but it's not going to be like, oh my, like I just, okay, cool. Got to get the crutches again. Got to get the boot. Got to, you know, how, how long have you had this level of balance? Like that's a crazy achievement. You know that that's a crazy achievement, right? Like what you're describing took a lot of work and you were not born in that state. Like you No, no, I was angry for a long time so and was I was reactive. Like, yeah. Uh, this is, I, I'm super, um, I talk about this all the time and people don't, no one really believes me. Or I, I don't know if people don't believe me, but they just kind of dismiss it because they don't want to do it themselves. But uh, you have to kill yourself. You have to be, you have to kill yourself. You have to be so committed to die. Uh, and yeah. you have to, and I'm not saying this in a, in a morbid kind of way. I'm not saying this no, no, in a self-harm I, I, kind of I, I way. Did, I did what you're talking about. I just don't think anyone who hasn't you have done to burn it the band down. If the band yeah, is when, not like doing for you what you want it to do, that's yeah. not to say that you don't want to go make music with this band again, yeah, but you yeah. gotta you gotta be willing to burn it the fuck down. Yeah, and I d- I've done it. that a couple times. I'm in the process of redoing that again. You know, I did it once right before Grace of Your Love, and I'm doing it right. again now. And like, you know, um, I get it, but you know, also like now coming back to it, when we did Grace of Your Love, my my goal was still music. I was still in faith without works aren't dead, and I'm not there anymore. Like I don't. I was just, you know, I go see a life coach uh, and I am a, become a life coach uh, recently, formally because of the pandemic. And I felt like this is what I have to offer because service mm. is a very critical part of my life. But the most yeah. important part of my life Making is Making stuff service. in service, yeah. But it's not, but it's not, it's not, that is not the most, I was having this conversation with my life coach yesterday. Okay. She was like, the most important part of your life is like, you know, being of service, helping people. And I can help people much more as a life coach than I can writing really bitchin' song that might get someone through their day or change history or whatever. But like, um, or I'm not sure. For me, it's about learning and about returning to myself. I, I believe that a human life has value, not because of what you do, but just, just what you are. 
Like, I believe sure. that, and, sure. and, you know, it's like, you don't, like, you don't have value because you made a nice movie or what, like, and that was really, you know, going back to this House of Jealous Ever Moment, getting married and stuff like that. It was like, I couldn't reach any more achievements in my own personal way. And it was like, I was more miserable than I'd ever been. So then it put this light on like, well, okay, so what gives human life value? You know, and I had a philosophy professor. And what, and, and what, what is it? You said service is most important to you, but what you make is not always in service. No, no, service is not the most important thing. Okay. Like life has value just because it is. Like okay. the most power comes from the acknowledgement of being. Like to be completely present. Like you said, you have to die, right? But you have to like, if I'm worried about, I don't know. And also making things like I'm really interested in the process more than it's about being more into the process than the results. Like, and I'm more interested in the process. I than, separate them, but I'm interested in both. I consider why, them separate. Why? Uh, with filmmaking, at least I have to think about, I could probably figure out if music is the same really quickly. Um, let me think about it this is. for two seconds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just seeing, I'm just like applying one example. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, I'd say filmmaking is more intensive of this process of this three-part process. Music kind of condenses it because of the amount of elements. There's fewer elements in music. Um, so the process that I refer to is, is three parts is the first is like what I'm doing right now. Like I'm in the middle of finishing a script for I, the script that the, the film, one film is done, the next film script is done, and I'm now working on the film after that. And I'm finishing that. For the first process, which is existing in these four walls here by myself, that like that's happening for me right now. Like last night, I had this like epiphany moment where I combined two, I figured out this like hole in the story that I needed. And I like, fully, I was so, I was ecstatic. You know, I felt, I felt that crazy je ne sais quoi like transcendent moment uh and i you know i'll literally like be like clapping and smiling and laughing and just like shouting I'm, i get so happy that process will be over in a few days i'll finish this script and and the film is finished to me that that is my film and i i learned all of this i just did it it's done no one will ever have to know about it i experienced it it's over next is the production part of the film is the making we're, we're gonna go we're gonna go copy that's how i kind of think about it is we're gonna go make a, a xeroxed version of what i did before but it's not in service of the thing that i did before because the thing that i did before is is finished i got that already and i do not need the production to to replicate that exactly so the production becomes whatever the production should be Meaning like when we shoot, if I have in my head that this is the shot, like if the shot changes because we're on the day and we're looking at it and we're like, wait a second, actually, you know what? We should turn it around. Like this is, this is where the emotional center of the, of the room is now that I'm physically in the room. When you physically get in the room, it becomes something else and you're doing it with other people and it's a shared experience. It's a limited shared experience, but you let it be what it is and it's not in service of the thing that already happened. Then the third thing that happens is, is the edit and the distribution, which is, which is a, an open sharing 
Uh, so there's the closed sharing, which is like the experience that you go through with your, your team, your actors, your, your AD, your producers, your, your grip, everyone, your camera people. Um, and then you, then you do something with an editor. And my directive to the editor, I don't like to edit my own films. I learned this recently. I used to edit my own films. And because I now understand my process a lot better, I don't want to edit my films ever because the directive that I give to my you know, post-production team is make the best fucking film. Make the film that's going to make people the most, have, have the most, have the best, most valuable emotional reaction. That's what I want. Don't do the thing that matters most to Sean. I will tell you when, like I get super, super in depth on it. Like, like every shot, I, I basically edit the film, but then I, I, I release control. I allow someone else to make it better. Um, but I say to them, like, do not value my, like what Sean says above the better idea. Like go with the better idea and I'll tell you, like, if I'm not okay with it, but, but, but then, you know, cause I want it to go into the world and I want it to connect with people. I want it to make them have the same emotional reaction that I had in the beginning. And with this film that I'm, that I'm currently, that's, that's going to premiere in September, um, the version of it that is premiering in September is very far from the thing that I, the first stage for me. It's a totally different film. I've, and I'm I've thrilled lived, about I've, that. I've lived that experience many times, you know. Um, you were talking about this kind of, the peak experience is that kind of experience of joy, like in the moment when you're in the room, right? So that's as good as it gets, but also- That's as good as it gets, yes. But that's also very dangerous because my life used to be about chasing those moments and that's not what my life's about anymore. Like, that's cool, but cool. like, that's not, like, you know, I used to just be like, how do I- I haven't had that it until recently. Okay, cool. I yeah. had different kinds of things when I, you know, we, we, you and I know each other through my, my music life, my DJ life, my events and stuff like that. I love that stuff, but it's on a lower level than it's a partial expression for me. The film, my own music now, all of these things that I'm doing now, like you talked about, you know, the, the work that I had to do to get to this place with not feeling rage with my family and stuff like that. Like it was all wrapped up in the same things. And the stuff that I was doing before was like a partial version of my of what I wanted to make. And now I'm making what I want. Now I'm making my house of jealous lovers. So I'm having those moments now, you know, I think yeah. you probably did it around 25. I'm doing it around, you know, at 35. And Congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's exciting. But yeah, I don't know if I'll be chasing those moments forever, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I, th I think it's a really good thing to chase. I, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from chasing it. You know, I think, yeah. I think. I, I understand think what you mean. I don't think that I could um, actually like I needed to do that stuff. I couldn't have been married without doing that stuff. You know, I speak right. a lot to people about that life coach clients or friends of mine. I've been in, in, in informally life coaching people, starting with my mom. I mean, as a five-year-old, I had to keep an adult woman from not killing herself every day. Yeah. Like if that's not life coaching, I don't know what it is, you know? So like, you know, uh, and to just have the, the presence, like I had to develop like a really wide, uh venue to allow people to play in like you know to be able to hold an adult consciousness that's teetering on the edge of destruction you gotta you know that's a lot of uh, force and you know I'm, I'm reclaiming my childhood like through art and through my cat and through you know my kid my kid's now 14 uh you know i'm having like the first you know having a relationship with my wife 
was my first real attempt to have like a healthy relationship with someone. I like literally walked into a ther therapist office 20 years ago. I was like, I have no idea how to have a healthy relationship. I will fuck this up. Please help me. Like, just tell me what to do. Like, I don't even know, like I'll pay you some money, but just like, I don't know <laughs> what to do. Like, I like, you know, um, and I paid this guy to teach me how to have an inkling of like a healthy relationship. And then I've been through a lot of other process. I got really involved in 12 steps for a while. I did like steps in like 12 different programs and like set up retreats. 12 different I, programs. Wow. Yeah. I, I fell in love with that. You know, like that there's been different eras in my life. It's really like baseball because baseball is like magical to me. And it was like, I was really I good played at baseball it. too. Yeah. And uh, I just played softball yesterday. Um, I hit the pitcher really hard in the hand and he had to leave the game and I felt bad for him. He's a friend of mine, but like, uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, that's a whole other thing. I really want to heal male culture. Like I think sports is very interesting because, you know, um, there's this emotional ghetto that's just, you know, very male, uh, like men, Still. like for, for men, like baseball or the people I play sports with, it's like the only therapy they'll ever have. It's the only place that it's safe to feel. And the feelings that are safe to feel are anger and sexuality. And, but like a really fucking weird sexuality, like a very dominant, like, and I get respected softball because I'm good at it. So like, I have this very weird, and I need it. And like, I have a softball dad, like I have his coach and he like loves me only because I'm good at softball. He doesn't give a shit about, like, I actually quit softball because I couldn't take people's negative self-talk. And I, I was going through a place where I was exposing myself I was making myself very vulnerable and I couldn't deal with people just beating themselves up. I couldn't be close to it. And that's what happens in softball. People are cruel, like, they, and, and it's a game designed to fail. So people are horrible themselves. And my baseball dad, like, he almost cried. I remember the day I was working at the food co-op with him and I was like, I'm not gonna play softball anymore. And he was like, you can't do that. He was like, you're really good at softball. And like, <laughs> And these guys are like, they're traders. They're like, you know, they, they trade players. They've been doing it for 30 years. There's a whole scene in the park. You play it one game and you get invited to the next one, the next one, there's tears. It goes all the way up to Central Park. I've never played in Central Park, but Central Park has like ex-pro players and all this stuff, you know, it's like really intense. There's a book written about it. I've never read it, but I kind of oh. want it. Um, but uh, yeah, like this whole, I really want to get in there and um, with it. So my friend, you know, I started with baseball and then, uh, you know, music was kind of my salvation. And then, uh, you know, I got into kind of like therapy and like 12 steps, I got really involved. Like I wanted to, um, I saw, I met my heroes. Like I went on tour with The Cure and I just talked to Robert Smith every day. And he had just put this like mask on at some point, you know, and he's like Robert Smith from The Cure. And I was like, do you wear makeup when you go to the grocery store? And he's like, if I leave my house, I put on makeup. And I'm like, okay, that's like full commitment. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm not ready to do that. But like, I understand. And what, what, what did he like, why? Why he's just like, I, I think it's like, um, that was my fear was that I would get eaten by the machine by my own mythology, right? Like what art is, is like you, 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 you create something that doesn't exist. You like manifest a mythology, a world, a, re a religion, even, you know, like Metallica. So was is like he a, wildly different from his mythology as you got to know him? He's a really deeply sensitive, emotional guy who grew up in a very, the reason why, you know, David Bowie and Robert Smith are my two singers that I relate to the most. And it's the, the way that they sing it. They both have the uh, almost identical background to me, like heavy mental illness in their family and like, you know, both like very enmeshed with their parents and 
you know, like I've all, I'm, I'm never going to be free from my mom. Like I had to, at some point when I sort of figured this out, like I've been married to my mom since birth. Like she's dead. Like I still have a very real relationship with her. Like she woke me up the other day and she's like, you need to watch all these Monet documentaries. And I was like, all right, whatever. So like I started watching these and she like patterned our entire life after that. Like she was an abstract oil painter and she had a garden and she used her garden for reference in her work. And like, you know, she was really, you know, she was like a Francophile, she's British, but like, you know, I think like, I'm never, I'm never going to be completely free from the, my mom's consciousness. Like she just lived inside of my body and she still kind of does. So with my wife to have a successful r romantic relationship, to navigate that, I had to like sit my wife down and be like, look, like my mom will probably be the most important person in my life forever. Like, and I can't do a fucking thing about it. Like there's room for you too, but it's, it's like, at some point my wife said to me, uh, right around last Raps record, she was like, all, every single song you've ever written is about your mom. And I was like, fuck, I was like, that's totally true. And I was like, you know, and she's like, why don't you write me a song? So I like wrote her a song and put it on the record and stuff. And now I've written her more songs. Like the last song I just put out is like about her family and all stuff, but it's like, it's only like even if I work exclusively not about my mom for the rest of my life like probably most of what I've written about will be about her and like or it has her in it and it's like I'm it's like stopping trying to fight these things and just assimilating them I think that's a big theme getting older is it's like you just kind of are your parents and you have to you can make decisions like I really don't like this like little detail about them so I can change that but like, generally speaking, like I'm just my dad and I'm very much my mom. Like I have the same hair as hers, complexion. I look like identical to her. And, you know, I'm haunted by her. We're all haunted by ghosts, you know? Like when I'm doing like life coaching, like I, we talk about this a lot, like everyone's haunted, right? And it's just like making friends with these aspects of yourself that have split off. That's what the emotional passengers. work is. What's that? I say passengers. The passengers, yeah, but also like letting them drive, being like, hey, you've been a passenger maybe for this entire time. Would you like to drive? Like, what do you have to <laughs> right. say? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the emotional work, right? So I don't even know how we got off on this tangent, but you know. No, whatever. <laughs> um, I think, and that's why music feels like such a box to me. Like if, you know, the biggest danger when House of Jealous Lovers hit was I was like, fuck, like I'm now a statue. Like I'm just this like, I'm a cartoon character and I, tried to create a cartoon character but now i'm like this guy what was, was your cartoon character yeah I, oh that was in the frame of robert smith yeah so like what was your cartoon character from the version of luke jenner that you knew to the version of luke jenner that went on stage and had this big hit record um i mean i approached you know the cartoon character on stage is just like this guy with big hair who jumps up and down plays guitar and like screams and and it's like um you know, I like there's I thought a lot about this. I mean, I think a lot about everything, but you know, like the most obvious cartoon characters are like, you know, Jack White or Robert Smith or you know, like the white strips only were like, we're just gonna have red and white, like, you know, or what I mean it's like it's a car it's literally a cartoon. You're Mickey Mouse, you know, I used to wear his Mickey Mouse t shirt. Like the day I met my wife, I was wearing a Mickey Mouse t shirt and I was thinking about all this this stuff and it's kind of like you want it to be just like boiled down, like you know, Led Zeppelin is have like the, 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 you know, they created their own ruins and they had like, it's like all these things that, but I don't, I think it's evolving. I mean, I think my goal has always been to be as transparent as possible. I mean, it's very influenced by kind of 
John, John Lennon solo work, like song Mother in particular, or these things where it's just like, you can either put on a helmet and be like, all right, like I'm a robot from outer space, or you can just be so completely yourself. And I think over time, like the polarity splits you, like any kind of fame or your process, it just destroys your life. Like, Do you think it's I, either or? Do you think you make a choice at some point or, or various choices to, to go one direction or the other? Yeah, and I think like it's about it's a your body is dying. You're you're it's like uh, I had this philosophy professor who I really loved. He was a baseball player, and uh, his name is Paul Wheatcroft. And he I used to just go to his office hours all the time in junior college. And I took every class that he taught. I taught I gave my son's middle name named Paul after him, and uh, he would just be like, why? Are, he would just come in every day, take his sunglasses off, sit on the table, and he had these piercing blue eyes and he would, and he would just say, what do you want to know? And people would just ask questions and he would never speak unless it was his personal experience. And I would, and I only heard him say once, like that didn't happen to me or I don't have anything to say about that. And I would just leave that class floating. Like, and I was just like, I just want to be this guy. And he was the first person who I ever met who actually liked himself, like legit, like really enjoyed his own presence. And I think you don't that like that's, yourself? I do now, but I think that that's the goal of life. I think the goal is to like, I like myself is to like yourself. That's, I think that is the pinnacle of, the of achievement. <laughs> you enjoy it. You enjoy your own. Uh, Cause that's all there is, you know, that's why it's like me being in this place in Mexico for months by myself. Like, cool. Awesome. Like, cause I know that I will make every day really, really valuable for myself. Yeah. You're your own, you're your own best really. friend. And if, yeah. and that's, and that's the only, the only thing we have to offer anybody else. I is love our own tea. Self-care. I love books. I love making things. I love writing. I, you know, I, I love thinking. I love meditating. I, I love. Yeah. You, you like, you're, you're enjoying your own existence. That's, that's really, you know, that's what, that's what it is. Tea is um, the most important thing. Like tea is, is the thread that ties uh, it all that, together. That, yeah, it's it's very British. My mom, like, you know, when I, I had to make her endless cups of tea as a kid, so <laughs> I became like a tea expert, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I now only drink hot water because I, when I worked at the food co-op, I worked in the aisle where all the tea was, and I tried every kind of tea, and I got like some super fancy tea making device, and I, and I tried every tea, and I figured out that what I actually like is hot water. <laughs> Great. <laughs> which, is what old, yeah. which is what old Chinese ladies drink, you know? Um, so... It's also free when you go to like a diner. When you can't go to diners anymore, but when you could go to diners, like <laughs> right, just yeah. some water. Yeah. So how do you you have this kind of balance internally, and how do you go about that? And how has it changed? You know, over the years, like you have you have two families really. You have you know your literal family, and then you have your band. And how has this all worked with your interactions with these people? Well, I mean, it didn't work for a long time because, you know, around House Jealous Lovers era, like, I remember having a realization that my band was more important than my wife, and I didn't like that. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is fucked up. Like, this is not good. So my priorities used to be my band, my wife, and then me. And now it's, like, reversed. Like, now it's me, like, my wife and kid, then my my music, you know? And so, like, my own process is the most important thing just like process for its own sake. I mean, I also believe that art isn't finished until it's shared, like, which is a whole other realm. But like, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, it's a cyclical, right? It's a, it's, it's like, service is a very important thing, but service is on the end of the chain. Like all of my service comes from 
you know, this, this, this primary relationship that with my own feelings or with God or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that was the thing I identified in that philosophy professor that I wanted and that I had no idea how to get to. So I had to like reverse engineer backwards. And it was great because, you know, accomplishing the rapture, becoming a cartoon character, that gave me something to hold on to that was tangible. Like this will never be erased. Like this is, you know, and there's a book, Meet Me in the Bathroom about it now, which I'm ecstatic about because I moved to New York because I read this book, Please Kill Me, which is about New York in the 70s. And then like I moved to New York and then this book came out about me and then there's going to be a movie about it and someone will like play you me. Know, the- I didn't even make this connection until just now. I'm, I'm, the person I'm talking to right after this is Hala Matar, who put on oh, yeah, yeah, an exhibition. Exactly. I, yeah, I didn't even cool. mention, I was, I was like, Hey, I can't talk right now, but like, give me like a couple hours and I'll hit you. And yeah, like, that's who I, it's yeah. so funny. And I was like, I didn't even make the connection. Like, of course you know her. Yeah. So, so like there's this whole thing going on. Right. And it's this full, it's this full circle, but it's, you know, I think it gave me like most artists like never achieve that thing, but once they do, they almost never go backwards. Like they don't like have a family or like themselves or like, you know, I guess that's the thing that freaked me out is like, and studying, you know, music history, like almost no, and just artists in general, my mom, the thing, I guess like, it goes back to my mom, right? Because I am her. So she really profoundly hated herself, like more than anyone I've ever met. Like she had a deep hatred of herself. Uh, Like, and she is very abusive towards me. And she used to say things like, I like abusing you because I like the way the darkness feels like I enjoy the darkness. That's like really fucking heavy. And like, you know, so. Well, I, I, I talk about that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, we need the darkness to, to see the light and all of that. So, uh, you know, um, David Lynch, like someone who I've talked about a lot on this show, like he talks about how he's not, his films are not dark because he's twisted and a fetishist or something like that. His films are dark because he wants to create understanding. And, you know, that's what, like, like I was, this scene, it's funny. Okay. Like the scene last night is like the darkest thing that I've ever written. It's so like, I, I, I messaged my friend who had read the previous script and there's like a, you know, there's like a, a rough scene in it. And this is like so rough. It's like worse than irreversible. And it's so fucked. Like I told her, like, you're not even going to like cry. You're going to laugh because it's going to be like sensory overload fucked up in this. And the point of that, the reason why I wrote it that way is to expand the dynamic range of our, you know, our, of our feeling spectrum. It's not, not to shock. It's not to make someone feel bad, not to make someone, you know, it's to expand the range and yeah, to open to flexibility, elasticity. I play around with those things a lot. It's particularly in the newer work that I made. Like I just made four records. First one's coming out, you know, soon, July 24th. And, but I have four of them done and it gets, it gets really dark. Four albums? Four albums, yeah. Holy shit, wow. I only knew about the one. And, uh, you know, they all kind of link together and they're all very meditative and they're, wow. they're kind of like movies. Like they just sort of, uh, there's not really pauses between songs and it's more like, a, you know, um, so um, I got really into like Frank Zappa's like kind of editing stuff. He's a really good, uh, like putting putting together records. Have you ever seen that documentary from Straight to Bizarre, like his whole 60s uh canyon scene thing i'm not sure what i've seen but i've seen i've watched like a lot of frank zappa like 
film. So I don't yeah. know which one I've so, seen though. So, but I'll so, so um, from here to the bizarre. I'll write it down. From straight to bizarre. It's just the name of his two sixties record labels. It's okay. really a nice documentary. But anyway, like the um, I understand what you're saying. It's like you've the more you get into liking yourself, the darker you can get, and the wider. And the more and the more quickly you can go between them because there's nothing in between there's nothing in between right like you're not running into like a bunch of barriers like you can do like something super fucking dark and then something super light next to it and then the contrast so essentially you're playing with contrast at the end of the day exactly that, that's exactly you know dynamic range contrast exactly like i want to i want to do the full thing i was writing a post on instagram yesterday and talking to people about i use my like instagram stories the way that you use facebook probably of like you know that's where like i share thoughts and whatever yeah I do the same um, thing, yeah. yeah and um yeah I was talking about Louis CK and Woody Allen and stuff and like the spectrum and you know one of the things I said was like whether you know hypothetically let's call them black and white let's just call them monsters you know I don't I'm not saying that that's what it is but let's say it is I still want to read the book because I want to understand I want to see the full spectrum of, of humanity I don't want to be like oh no these guys are, are bad I don't want to know how they think like no I, I do want to know how they think I want to know how they think even more I use the example of like someone who's you know moral who's like morality like that doesn't make me like their art more like that's cool I might want to like have dinner with them more but like it doesn't make the art more valuable no I mean you know my biggest influence is my mom and you know she you know sexually emotionally physically damaged me in every like in every possible way but I am her so like you know if I'm gonna really do this human deal like I have to sit with that um and bring love to it otherwise I'm not really doing the job you know and we're not really like we're living a, a fantasy we're living like not a, you know a not real version of of the human experience well, well well i mean you got to be careful with that i think i think that there's a real it's easy for somebody like you or i to like really judge people like consciousness is a very expensive thing and not everyone is on earth to like be super conscious like it's just not gonna happen you know and to like i have a lot of these conversations like with my life coach or with people like her whole thing is like, she's like, oh yeah, we're, we're in the age of Aquarius. Like everyone's gonna wake up and we're all gonna be in Shangri-La. I'm like, no way. Like there's like human history shows. I mean, that's like the history of spirituality, right? Is it's like, there's very few people in each lifetime who can actually hold consciousness, period. And like, or can afford it. And like, you know, to be angry at someone because, you know, they're not feeling or they're well, not- no, It's not uh, about being angry with them for, for that. I don't or, think or to or to expect everyone to rise to your level no, or whatever even. you know not like, even no more just i would say uh so i mean that's what the scene is actually like in this in this film like what it's about is someone who is coping with trauma in a really radical way and the scene is like the reveal of how this person copes with the trauma and it is so radical but the, the straight up, I don't mind saying it, like the point that I'm, you know, what I'm trying to provide here is like, this person is literally living, like he's, he's letting repressed memories dictate like 50% of his life and he's not aware of it, but he is, but this is his mode 
and he has these things that like if he were to wake up to them he would lose he wouldn't be able to to have even 50 percent consciousness but this balance allows him to live an otherwise you know really fruitful existence and he does these really you know out objectively I don't. I don't know what the word should be like. Cause crazy is not. Isn't it, crazy is counterintuitive with what I'm saying? Because I'm saying it's actually super healthy. So he's doing something where he's actually completely unaware, and it is completely antisocial. You know, it's it's outside of of what we consider like okay in society and healthy in society. But this is how this guy balances. And I think I'm all for it. And that's like what the movie is. And that's why I make this scene so fucked. Because I'm trying to to just ram that point home, like, like make the most fucked up thing possible, okay? Because like that's there's no definition of like who's more highly evolved or something like that. So like I don't pride, you know, my version of of consciousness or whatever, like, is not does not indicate that I'm like living a better, more valuable whatever existence than someone who you know wallows who stays in their repressed memories it's all about like just balance and how we how how we experience our our days and we do what we have to do to have the best experience of those days so yeah for some people it might be like you know making lots of number one, you know, hit records and stuff and continuing to do that. For some people, it might, you know, like you said, like you crossed that threshold and you, once you were there, you didn't need to continue to do it and you wanted to go expand other parts of of your existence. I just, I think there's all types and I want to be completely open to all of them. That, that, that's the learning and understanding that I want my art to promote. Yeah, so you're doing it, you know, I mean, I I mean, I like the definition of God as balance, you know, or reality without any crap on top of it, and which, you know, is another way of saying balance, right? But yeah, I mean, seeking balance, but God is also a moving target. So balance, what balance Balance, meant for me, you know. Balance in 20 minutes is going to change for me. Hopefully. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what makes it, that's why I get out of bed in the morning, you know, that's why it makes it interesting, right? And for me, I need to make things in order to maintain balance. If I don't make things, I won't be balanced. Well, yeah, for, for, for me, it's like, I just talk about like, uh, you know, music's like brushing my teeth. You know, if I don't do it for a while, it just gets weird. Like, that's all. But, but it's as simple as that. It really is an act of self-care. And, you know, I do it. That's the most important um, part of it. You know, like I go to softball. <clears throat> it's been a really healing place for me, softball, because I don't go to win anymore. And like, I, I, I go to learn about myself in pressure situation or in relationship to other people. And I go there to, you know, be of service and I'm trying to win. It's like, I'm not, it's not that I'm not trying to win. It's just not the goal. For, when did for that me. shift for you? Uh, when I went back, I think like, you know, I had to make a Grace of Your Love album, take a break from softball, then take a long break from the rapture. Then like, did you, know, you still start- want to win when you made Grace of Your Love? um i did yeah there's still, you know you worked with zadar right off the back of his biggest record of his life of wolfgang amadeus phoenix and 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Philippe just became a really big friend. Philippe became like a was a really pivotal figure. He died last year. He fell out of a window. Died, yeah, it was like a year and a week ago or something like that. And um, the experience of his death was really interesting because, you know, um, when my mom died in 2006, the year my son was born, um, I and my therapist died. My original therapist died. The guy who was really like my first like father the figure, like the guy, yeah. the guy who was like the first person who like when I was a kid and I would come home and I'd be like, someone's bullying me in school. And my parents would just be like, cool, like whatever, like I, good luck with that. You know, he was the first person that was like, I'm sorry that happened to you. Or he would get mad. Like, I don't like that this person is hurting you or whatever. And I was just like, it was my first experience of love in, in that way. And he died, my mom died. And my mom, like, when he died, it was this release of like, I didn't, we didn't have any hangups. Like I just really like at the end of our therapy, like he would just, we, he would, I was, he would just make us coffee and he would talk as much as I did. Like he would just say, I would ask him about his life. And, you know, like, it was just like, we really became close and friend friendly. And I, you know, I learned a lot about being a dad from him stuff like that. But when he died, it was a release of joy. I cried. I remember I was in the shower, but I felt a kind of, ecstatic feeling and it was a release i could feel something leaving my body when my mom died it was like all of this repressed it was horrible years-long process of just being haunted and like i couldn't not look at things anymore and i was still very operative in my competitive nature like when i when the rapture started i used to just treat it like sports like i would stand on the side of the stage literally and i would just stare at the people on the stage, like, I'm gonna fucking murder you. I would never go up to someone and be like, I'm gonna be better than you. But like, that was always my operative thing. And the early DFA was all about that. Like, you know, James Murphy is just like, I don't know how he is now, but at the time he was just like, if I'm not gonna be in a cage match with you, like, we're not even gonna do this. Like, if we're not, if the if the object isn't like, I kill DFA you. DFA is named you. after the sound system is DFA, death from above with the way that James set up the speakers named after, you know, the, the, the war term. Yeah, exactly. And he's like really into like ultimate fighting. Like he went to go see, he had like favorite fighters. He would go to like, he trained as like a professional killer. I mean, like, wh like whatever that cage match oh, I didn't fighting know that. Well. <laughs> He like, he, he <laughs> trained with one of the most famous, the Gracie family, which is the most famous family for Brazilian martial arts. And like, he uh Vito got into it too our, the drummer and the, the best friend family member of the that I grew up with the drummer of the rapture but like you know he would go to Las Vegas to like watch his favorite fighters fucking wow, I never knew legend that. people like you know and his dad was a almost professional football player was a really large guy and like I saw James like throw someone down a set of stairs when he was our sound guy in Iceland it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen like but anyway he his, his whole thing was just like I will fucking murder you. And like, if you read the book, meet me in the bathroom, like LCD sound systems success is entirely based on trying to murder me because I had betrayed DFA, DFA. And James was like, fuck Luke, fuck the rapture. I'm going to take all of the plans for DFA that we had with rapture and put it in LCD and we will be bigger than them. And we will come. And he did that. And I said that to him. I was like, dude, like, and we're on good terms now and stuff, but I, I got to say to him, I was just like, look, dude, you went, like you won, like you did it, like you murdered me, like you're more famous than me, like you are more like critically acclaimed and, you know, good job. Like, you know, now can we just like, you know. I'd say arguably House of Jealous Lovers is still the definitive 
GFA song, even including the LCD Sound System catalog. Absolutely. If someone asked me to name one, I would have to name House of Jealous Lovers. That's true. That's why also, did you notice, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming you know this too. By the way, I made this note. Echoes has more plays on fucking Spotify than House of Jealous Lovers. Well, that's because it's a theme song to this like super popular British uh, uh, TV show called, uh, I don't know, it's about like mutant kids or something. Whatever it is, yeah. But it's like, you know, like, it's, it's kind of like we had a, like the B-52 song Rock Lobster, like only became a hit like sort of seven years or 10 years after it was released as a single. Oh, and like, really? so Echoes kind of had that moment. Like when we play that song live, like people lose their shit because they know it from the, the it's like, you know, there, it's huh. a really popular TV show theme song. Like, yeah. yeah. Echoes was always cool, but it was never the, it was never the cut. It's not, not it's not, histo- it's not historically important. Yeah. You know? It was um, really good. It was, but you had like, you have like three or four that, you know, House of Jealous Lovers is like number one. And then you have like three or four that are like, that do things that I've always noted your, um, you know, your like act shifts in songs. And the ones that make those kinds of act shifts are, are the really important ones to me. I think you know, that, that that's why, um, you know, How Deep Is Your Love became this real anthem because it's like whatever it is, like three, four minutes in, these piano keys are introduced and all of a sudden it's like a whole new thing. And that's the transcendence. Yeah. I, mean, I love well, that your act was, shifts. Yeah. That, that's kind of like my attempt at writing like stairway to heaven or something like that. You know, I got like really, I totally see with, that. Yeah. Really obsessed with like dream on and like, you know, hotel California and all these songs that are like, like you said, like you're, you're kind of like, Oh, this is a cool song. And then like halfway through, you're like, Whoa, what the fuck is happening? And then, then right. it goes somewhere else. Like, you know, right um so yeah i mean and that that's like a challenge like a songwriting challenge you know for me life's like all about like i discovered something about myself that gave me a lot of peace recently and that's that i just i need to struggle like i didn't know that about myself like and i think i learned that from like softball whatever it's like well that's the that's the dying that i talked about you know it's it's not just removing uh yourself from things it's not just resetting it's not just being able to lose things it's knowing you know it's it's going through the pain you have to suffer nothing good comes without suffering as fucked you know it's like the same thing with the darkness yeah so that's like the idea of grace right is it's like you know just enjoying the suffering like if you can enjoy your suffering like you're doing fucking awesome like you know if you can really instead of being like god damn it i have to do this forced meditation because my foot's broken if you can actually just be like you know what no thank you like this is like i'm in oh yeah i'm not i'm not down like i think of you know an arc with this with force you know with the suffering is like i have there was this meeting that i was in i don't know why this day for some like i had this meeting at apple and it was three other people it was it was it was like my my main like superior boss whatever and two managers and I was just feeling horrible. I was feeling like just, you know, everyone in the room was more accomplished than me and like I'm small and what the fuck am I doing and why am I even here and I'm an imposter and I'm not living up to my abilities and all, you know, all these things. Um, It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, this is 2015, I think. And uh, I, it was the first time I left the office that day. And that was like the first time I was ever like, I need a drink. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a substance person. I've never done any drugs. And I, drinking is like, 
I can drink just fine, but it's like not important to me, you know, and I don't I like get wasted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this day I was like, I feel like I should drink alcohol to distract me from the feelings I'm going yeah, through. And, and that was the first time I was ever like, that's why people do that. Um, and then, so I contrast that moment to the moments that I have had since then, which have been actual, like that was like a man, that was like an artificial, that wasn't real. That was me just freaking out. But since then, like I have actually allowed myself or made myself like irrelevant and forgotten and you know not valuable in in these kinds of areas like at the time i had this really big job and i was like making a bunch of money and stuff like that so i was kind of just like really stressing over some bullshit but then like over the last few years i've actually been irrelevant i've actually removed myself from all of it so there's Pretty no cool, value right? that i hold yeah, yeah and congrats, so yeah. so con contrasting those two <laughs> moments yeah exactly yeah. so uh the the way that i end up feeling is entirely different now because I have, and it's real, it's actual. Like I have actual moments where there are things I cannot do. Like at that moment when I was in that office, like I could do anything. There was no phone call. Like I could get, you know, I understand. I like, got it. Yeah, but now it's like, if I want to go part. get, right. It's like, now if I want to go get this, you know, thing executed, like right now I'm trying to get my film into film festivals and it's actually not, now I'm, I'm good and it's happening. But like, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen. I genuinely, like I was talking about it yesterday. I was like, I did not think I was going to be at, like I have four festivals that, that I want. And I didn't think I'd get any of them. I thought I was two more films away, but I'm getting them now. And it's, and it's amazing. But I was genuinely in a, an emotional position and a strategic position too, where I did not expect to be in like, I thought I was going to have to go, you know, in like the slam dance, kind of, like, like the, the B level, um, I thought I was going to have to start there and, and the film is just really good. So the film, the film did it, but um, the emotional acceptance around, okay, I went from, you know, head of a department at Apple to I'm, you know, blind, I'm sending regular blind submissions in to film festivals that are not even like, you know, I was ready to do that. I was ready to send my film in on a website to people that I don't know with no, affiliate, you know, with no hookup, nothing and paying the $65 and just hoping that it goes well. And that being, I was ready to be okay with that being my best route. And I felt fine with it because you balance, you, you know, you find balance. So, so that's the full circle. The only, so you're kind of illustrating my point. It's like, the only thing that matters is how you feel like, and yeah. you had to go through all this stuff. Like, so you're either enjoying your life or not, and you're enjoying it. And you had to let go of this high paying job. Like clearly you're good at work. So you're never gonna have an issue with work. Like whatever you're, you choose to make your vocation, whether it's Apple Music or making a film, it doesn't fucking matter. Like yeah. all of that's irrelevant. The only thing that matters is how you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I did it with the confidence that I, I, I didn't do it thinking I'm gonna go take a step down. And I'm going to go live a quieter life. That was not my, my, I did it as an investment because I believed that, like you just said, like, I, I believe the reason why I got this, I can also get these other things and they will matter to me more. And I want to live that kind of life. I don't want to be in these meetings and stuff. I don't want to be dealing with this kind of, I don't want to be in this energy. I want to be making things. And I was resigned to the fact that maybe the things that I make are less, they, they provide for me less tangible things and and 
make you know shift my status and whatever these these objective worldly aspects they shift me but um that i'll be honest that's not what i wanted that's not why i i wanted i want to be more powerful objectively worldly with this i that, that's where we started talking about with like making things for the sake of understanding for the sake of world building like i want to build i I lost confidence in my ability to build the world by because I felt that corporations and, and you know all corporate consolidation will prevent me from being able to make the impact that I want to make, and I could do that more by making films and and by doing my own things, and that is why. That, so so this wasn't a. Um, I still want those things. Yeah, no, I've shifted I, the, the format. And, and, and you'll get it. And that's all like academic and you'll get it. And it, it'll matter because it's the first time that you're getting it on your own terms, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. And I hope you get those things. But, you know, the only reason I do anything, make art, go to softball, do life coaching, is because it, it, it teaches me about myself. And it, the yeah. home is always in me. And then, I, and then it's cyclical, right? And, and, and there isn't really a duality. But I think the thing that helps me stay balanced is the only thing is to control like my job you know i was given a certain amount of time you said time's an operative thing for you right like i'm getting a certain amount of time on earth and that comes with a certain energy field i'm just trying to like purify this energy so that when it goes back into the bigger hole it's i'm taking care of this little area and so that i'll give back my energy better than i got it or 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 i and i enjoy the process i mean but that's not even the good. It's not, I don't need to give it back better. Like, I don't think God or the universe like really cares if I give back my energy better than it was given to me. I don't think, I think it's just, you know, I think we're all God looking at itself, you know? And I think just to be with that. I, think, I, I say narcissism is the most powerful force for good on earth. Meaning like the stuff that we're incentivized to do for ourselves should be in service of of the best world possible when that gets fucked up when that gets toxic you know toxic and tainted is when it becomes problematic and why narcissism is considered this you know bad word yeah i mean what you know i think you could use use words are just tools you know and i think yeah you can use you can use anything for anything i mean that's like statistics you know i i, I basically took two day two days of statistics in college because on the second day the teacher said look like I'm going to teach you a bunch of statistics, but just FYI, you can use any set of statistics to prove any point you want. Yeah, we're living in, in pandemic times and you could take the same article and change around a couple words and be, you know, like all these weird comparison articles. Like there's more plastic masks in the ocean than jellyfish. Like I read that headline the other day. Like, what does that mean? Like what, what frame of reference is that? Like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I think we're good. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's this struggle to understand myself and I need that tension and I will go wherever that tension is for the rest of my life. You know, that, that's what I'm going to be doing. And is now yeah. pandemic time creating more or less tension or how do you feel? I feel Different my biggest, my, the biggest obstacle in general in my life and that pandemic is really helping with this is helping me work this out is other people's suffering and distress is for, you know, because that's what I grew up in, right? My mom's suffering. So I was in a sea of my mom's suffering 
And that's very much like right now, like people are fucking scared and it's very hard to listen to yourself and to be curious about your own process when there are so many people, you know, in pain and confused. And I think it's less the pain and more the confusion that's distracting. And the, and the, the, you know, I think, I think confusing confusion is so dangerous. Well, you know, I think like uh, when I, in my 12 steps work, like kind of boil down to this. And, and that is the idea that codependency is the root of all addictions. And, you know, you can define addictions broadly, but to just be, is to be out of balance. Right. And codependency is like not knowing where I end and you begin or, or not having messy boundaries and being enmeshed. And like our world is very enmeshed. And so I think that the, also social media has taken over like historically in the last months, like social media is now more important than the news, which is crazy shift. Like historically people will look back on this time and be like, whoa, like that was, you know, it's like the reason why the NFL and NASCAR are, you know, banning the Washington are, Redskins, the Washington Redskins is because of social media. It is not like NBC news. It's LeBron James or the peep, the players themselves speaking up. Like the NASCAR driver is like, I don't like seeing Confederate flag at the race. It makes me feel bad. Or like, yeah, like, you know, like the Yeah, we've had people make statements against the Redskins for decades and nothing's happened. But now all of a sudden. Yeah, and all the statues getting taken down and we're redefining our mythology, which is wonderful. I think we should be redefining our myth. I'm like, I'm really into all of that stuff. Like I'm not threatened. I'm, I'm very excited. I don't feel like my work hasn't changed very much. Like I've learned a lot more about racism i've learned ways in which that i have carried racism that i didn't even know like that wasn't even that like i felt there's a collective feeling right now around um that has never existed before and i find that very exciting because i'm already feeling all the time so it's like cool like but also there's a big part of me that's like okay like you guys are all going to go back to sleep again you know like there's you can't like we're at an unsustainable level of consciousness for culture in general. Like our culture is going to expand, but then it's going to contract again. And, and that's all fine. Like, I'm not trying to like change the world. That's another thing I talk about all the time is like, I hate the term change the world. I was, I was very much like, you know, when we first signed a major record label deal, I really wanted to be Nirvana. And I, we like, I like looked at House of Jealous Lovers, like smells like teen spirit and in sort of some sort of way. And I was like, all right, like I'm going to go out and I want 14 year old kids to like me. And I want everyone to like me. I want everyone from high school to like me. I want my, I want to like headline Coachella and I want to, I want to, I want to sell Kabillion records, you know, like in the grunge era and stuff. And it's like, it's, it's really unsatisfying to be at the level of like celebrity culture. And like, we like hung out with like Justin Timberlake for a while and like Timberland, <laughs> like literally, you know what I mean? And like, I, I went to O2 Arena in London and Madison Square Garden and Justin Timberlake walked on stage for two years. The lights would go down, House of Jealous Lovers would play in his entirety and he would come out and then do Justin Timberlake, you know? And that was, um, that was his intro song? For two years. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So like, and he was just like, you know, he was in Rolling Stone being like, this is my favorite song and that's my favorite band. And he'd be like, wanna hang out with us? Be like, okay, I guess like, you know, and that was back when the Neptunes were really exciting. So we'd go and like hang out with the Neptunes. We'd go to like Timberland studio and the Neptune studios like right next to each other. And so we'd go there and like, 
the Neptunes would be like, hey, you want to borrow our dirt bikes? And we'd be like, all right. And we'd be like riding around their dirt. So it was like, we're <laughs> kind of like, and I was reading like In Touch Magazine, had a nanny at the time and she would bring over like In Touch Magazine. I would read about all this like celebrity gossips and I just felt so bad. And I was just like, you know, and we were having meetings with, you know, we were on Universal Music and I was having meetings with all these people that were just clearly insane. You know what I mean? And like, and it just felt awful, like eating a diet of, unconsciousness and kind yeah, of just talking about about those meetings I was in you know I didn't want to be in those meetings yeah I literally worked at Universal Republic when you were signed there yeah and, so yeah. yeah so it's like but I'm so glad that I did that like I'm so happy that I met Sylvia Roan and Lear Cohen and like you know he like you know ate like he bought us like a thousand dollars worth of fruit and like you know what I mean like it was like really great like you know it's like but <laughs> And it also seemed like a joke, like a kind of, you know, rock and group, like the Sex Pistols rock and roll swindle thing. But it was also, there was something so self-hating about it too. It was just like, I'm gonna eat a thousand dollars worth of fruit with Leo Cohen because I can't, like, fuck it. Like, you know, but it didn't, it made me feel, I just hated myself. It, it peaked the part of me that was my mom's self-hatred. And it was the most painful time in my entire life. And I'm sure that, you know, you're here talking to me with no shirt on a broken foot in Mexico because of your experiences in a similar realm, right? So we're on a similar path. And I think this kind of life of like how Neil Young lives his life where it's just kind of like, all right, like I'm gonna just leave Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young tour even though, who cares? Like I'm just, I'm fucking leaving. Like, and just like reinvent yourself and kind of have these peaks and troughs and being like, all right, you know, I'm gonna be making music till I die because I have to for my own self care. So what's the most interesting path? Like, do I want to just get all the way to the top and then sit there forever? Or do I want to be access accessible to everybody? Like, and I, I really want to be accessible to people. Like the lot radio is a big experience for me the last few years. Cause it was Love just like, I was just like, I just want to be like, if some kid wants to talk to me, I want to talk to them. You know, if like, if somebody so is that involved in your thinking with the new label with, with, Monona, like, mentorship yeah, I mean, when, production collaboration yeah. yeah and you know i taught maybe 20 people how to play music that hadn't never played music before and like you know those how do you connect putting, with those people um some of them through the lot radio some of them a lot of them are just people that i met and i felt like they could be songwriters because of the way that they talked and also like i had this theory for a long time where it was like you can teach technique but you cannot teach taste like oh, taste is a kind of awareness and it's something that's fundamental and like or language like you can't really teach somebody like the, it's like there's these gifts that you can polish so i was just like you know you sound like a songwriter can i teach you how to write songs or you i bet you would be a really good guitar player or whatever you know like let's so i taught all these people individually and then we got together and i started a band with some of them um and then like i met another person and Is i that thought what, them, cd films that's what cd films and then okay. There was this tandem jump, which is like Tara, who was just like, the way that she talked, I was just like, you, what you're saying is a song. We just need to like write it down. And then like, so like, you know, I wanted to do those things and also just build a community around, like, I, I think there's a realm for like this kind of healer thing. Like I'm very much a healer because I had to be with my mom, you know, um, and so combining that with music, like I, when I was 25, I was looking for like one person who had like, uh, who liked themselves and I couldn't find anybody. And I was like, all right, like I just have to be this person and then I have to pass it on to artists, you know? And I'd like, love to extend that to sports because sports isn't, you know, the first part of my life. So it'd be healing to me. 
you know, the way of world building, you know, you, that, that is, we're, we're, we're talking, I think we're using different words, but we talk about same things, you know, that's, I think that's what I, you know, I find that stuff so important is like, you want to exist in this world and you want to have these people, you know, empowered or whatever. I'm creating the world that I need to live in for myself. Yeah, it's very, exa- exactly. it's very, it's very, it's very selfish. That's exactly like, it's not, how it's I, it's not this like altruistic thing. Like I'm not a nice exactly, guy. Like, exactly. You know, you, not, you're like, not doing it at a charity. I, I completely uh, get it. And I completely agree. You're doing it because you want to live in this world where these kinds of people get to be doing these kinds of things and you enjoy that more. Yes. I totally, yeah, that's why like, I say that narcissism can be the greatest force of good in the world. Like early CD films practices were essentially like 12 step meetings where people would just, we just come in and be like, what are you feeling? What's bothering you? What do you, what makes you cry? Like, you know, I set up retreats for trauma survivors for years, like, and I would give talks at them and I, you know, these for sexual abuse survivors. And like, I was on the board of trustees and I wrote all this literature about, you know, dysfunctional family systems and all this stuff. And bands are essential, essentially dysfunctional family systems. And how right. the rapture worked is like, all right, Vito, like you're my mom or my dad and you gave your, your, and you're my sister and let's just like do this thing, right? And it's like, I just was like, oh my God, I did it again. And, and it's like, wherever you go, there you are. So like, if I have to stay within myself, just try to make myself at peace or, or accept peace. Cause I don't know if you can, you can't like grace is something that, that you can't demand. Like it, it just shows up, you know, that's turns between like happiness and joy. Like you can manufacture happiness, but you cannot manufacture joy. Like, so it's like, you can put yourself in a position where it might show up, you know, which is very much like the process you're talking about where you, you know, you're jumping around the room and stuff. You're just putting yourself in this scenario like you're in now and you're waiting for something and you're like, cool. Like I accept what's going to come, you know, and you're creating a space for it. But I wanted, I want to work with people and I want a, a, a culture, a small culture very much kind of like what DFA was in the beginning, but healthier, like without the killing each other and, 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 and ultimate fighting part. I don't want to fight anybody. I want to like, you know, so, so I think this kind of dual like healer, musician, artist realm is something that's very attractive to me. Like doing the life coaching has been really critical to me in the sense that, um, having like those things be distinct so that I can eventually combine them. It's like, you know, and I work with a lot, a lot of artists and life coaching or whatever, but it's, it's, it's more like putting your, your energy into things that you think will eventually maybe come back to you, maybe in 10, 20 years or not at all. But it's like, I tend to like to take on clients who I think are going to create the world that I want to live in also, you know what I mean? Or, or just put my energy into, into that and just hope to hell that some of it comes back and it's working, it's working, you know, but the lot radio felt like that, the, the label's very much about that. And in all the people on the label, like they all do their own emotional work. Like they've all been to therapy or 12 steps or, or they, and they help other people. Like it's very, like I wrote a column in Love Injection, which is Barbie and Paul's magazine for a year and a half. It was just called Ask Luke Anything. And it just people just write in and be like, I hate tour. I don't know how to have a relationship with my partner or I can't write songs anymore because I hate myself. I don't know what, they just write in stuff. And I would try to, you know, just be available. I love the idea of like, you know, Andy Warhol or, uh, you know, or, or uh, these different beat writers were like in New York and you could just come and if you were like new people, you could just talk to them be like, hey, Andy, do you think like, what do you think I should do? Do you think like this, my band is good? Or like, do you think I should make this movie? Like, and you'd be like, well, I don't know, like, let me take your photo or whatever. But just being, that's the mythology in New York for that is for me. And I love, 
being part of that. And for me, House of Jealous Lovers was like, it doesn't exist without all that context. And I feel like the real art isn't creating the thing. It's not a movie or a song. It's the context. And the reason why House of Jealous Lovers is such an important song is like everything around it. Like without the world and New York and 9-11, like without all of these factors, it like, it doesn't work. So it's like being aware of that history and re repetitions and echoes of things. Um, that's why the record is called Echoes, but it's like, I don't know, try, I think that's the real art. It's like, you know, making, empowering other people to give light and shade. You know, that's kind of what being in a band is like with Vito, like Vito didn't even play drums until I met him and I was like, you need to play drums. Like, he's like, no, I don't want to. I want to be a, I want to make films. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you're going to play drums. And he was like fucking terrible at it for like years and years. And like, we couldn't even play together. And it was this horrible thing on our relationship. And eventually he got good enough for us to play. And all of our friends were like, you shouldn't play with Vito. He's fucking terrible. You should get an actual drummer. And I'm like, no, no, this will work. It's going to take like five years, but it'll work. So it feels very much like that. And, and the way that you're talking, I hear that in your process too, but it's like, it takes so much equity to be like, I don't need any returns for five, six, 10 years. I'm going to just like, it's very much like having a kid. You're just like in for the long haul and trusting yourself. I mean, those are really extraordinary things. Not everyone can do that. I mean, like who the fuck goes to Mexico and like sits by themselves and interviews people you know like why why would you fucking do that like who does that shit that's weird that's weird you know i mean i think it's cool i totally get it it's something yeah, i would do normal. but like it's like not normal this is not what like normal people do i don't want i don't want to be normal you're doing a great job <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's that I, I i talk about these kinds of things often uh you know people the, it, it's just the the framework the questions that i get are so off uh, and I'm okay with that. I don't really care. Uh, but people just have such little comprehension of like what I'm doing. And I, I, it's not important that, that anyone understands. When, I just when, need when, to. When, when did you get to the point where you did, that's a huge milestone by the way, to get to the point where you don't need to be understood in your process as part yeah. of your process. That is huge. Like when did that, how did that happen? 2017, uh, 2017, I had left, I left Apple at whatever that was like, uh, end of the year, beginning of the year. It was May to September of 2017 when like all these things happened in my life. I launched a clothing line in April and then, um, between May and September, I called it like birth, love and death and all these things, just all these things happened. And I, um, I agreed to receive, basically. I, I agreed to just like, world is going to happen and I'm just going to let it happen. I don't know what, I'm not going to make any more plans. I'm just going to uh, accept whatever. I'm just going to go on the ride that is occurring right now. And that involved like birth of a family member, death of a family member, new love in my life. Um, it involved artistic, just super, like this is when Twin Peaks aired. And, um, and I went super deep into like all of that. I coupled that with, um, with other, you know, artistic exploration. I surrounded that with the, the surroundings, you know, that I felt it needed. So I went to the physical places that I needed to go to feel all the things that I felt I needed to feel. So I was in New York when I needed to be in New York. I literally went to the 
locations of Twin Peaks when I like wanted to explore how I felt about that show more. I literally went there and I learned about the mythology and I went to the house where they shot and I watched the show and that like, like I, I yeah, did all these that. sensory yeah. experiences. I went to Venice, Italy. I went to New Orleans because I had this sense of, um, uh, not for morbidity again, but like the sense of, of physical decay in physical spaces and culture, civilizations, I should say, not cultures, um, becomes intoxicating. And I had, I had been, you know, sort of drawn to it, but I never really understood it too much. And so I, I spent a lot of time in Venice, Italy and a lot of time in New Orleans because those were the places that were most evocative of those feelings that I had somewhere. Um, and yeah, at this time period, I, you know, so once I came out of it, which was September, I committed fully. And I was just like, it's going to be art life. It's going to be that this is, this is going to be my world and I'm going to make these things. And I don't know what I have to do. I'm going to continuously not know what I have to do to get there, but I'm going to keep doing it. And no one is going to help me. No one's going to be there with me. I'm not going to have any companionship. I'm not going to have any support. I'm not going to have any mentorship. I'm not going to have any friends. All my friends and whatever are going to be like compartmentalized. And this has been, that was a realization that this has always been the way it is. But I was just aware of that and committing to it even further. Meaning like I have people, I have tons of people in my life. It's not like I don't, I talk to people all the time. But there's very few people who know everything. If, if anyone, and I've been developing that more now because I have everything now to, to share beforehand. I didn't know what it was. So everything had to be compartmentalized because I couldn't articulate it. I couldn't put someone through the, I couldn't give someone the information. I couldn't share the feelings because I didn't know them entirely myself. Um, and now it's more a matter of choice. Um, and now I can kind of read who, so that's why I say like the questions are wrong almost all the time. There's very few people in my life who understand that me being in a place like this for this amount of time, they're like, oh, are you lonely? Are you stir crazy? Are you bored? Oh my God. Like you have, you, we don't know each other. Like <laughs> you don't understand me at all and that's okay. But um, yeah, but that, but it started in the, toward the end of 2017 when I, when I accepted that this path that I was going to take would be alone and solitary not 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 in a not in a sad way in a just like i'm invested in building this bigger world for myself yeah yeah you're like a desert monk you know you're out there yeah. and like uh, you know, this has been my monk. you know want my walkabout or whatever and it's been amazing and and the fact that it is coinciding with you know the end of it like i was i was ready to release things earlier this year and I got sick at the end of last year. I was ready at the end of last year. I got sick and that delayed me a little while. That's why I came to Mexico to like convalesce. And then the pandemic hit. And then, so, so it's wild that, you know, my period of, of whatever self-development, self-isolation, you know, it never ends, but like this period of like really f f definitive, like I'm going to be, no one's going to really know what's going on in my life. And, uh, I'm now ready to share, but the, 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 the sharing coinciding with 
the pandemic is a crazy thing because everyone is sort of now I'm like reinventing myself while everyone else is. So it's become this actually kind of beautiful thing where a lot of people are more open to things than before where like something that, that has bothered me and, and, you know, something that was, um, it doesn't bother me as much today. Like we were talking about, like, but things that would upset me before is like when someone would message me and be like, where you been or whatever, like, because I'm no longer like in regular contact with like a community or a network or, or an industry event or something like that. Like, cause I'm not in their circuit anymore. Like I don't exist. And that they, and it's not that I take it personally and feel um, lowered by that. It's that like, fuck man, like your thinking is so annoying, you know, so it's so bad and destructive to other people. And, well, you know, yeah. I mean, is that something that you've accepted about yourself? Because that's something that's very important in my process is that like, you're really annoying to like, you're just you being you and being completely mellow and like not trying to like, it's like grading to people. And it's like, you're shining so bright. It's like, and just, I used to really, yeah. really fight against that and be like, you know, be indignant, but it sounds like you're cool with that. But I just wanted to check in and see. I, the first thing that happened to me was, so this all happened through socializing. This wasn't, this didn't happen quietly. This happened for me being in the world, very much in the world. Like the last thing I did was like, I launched a clothing line at Coachella and shit. And it was like all over billboard and hype beast and all this stuff. Like I was super out there. I was like running social media campaigns and like doing influencer stuff. And like, uh, I started getting, it was around, you know, once Donald Trump got into office also, I started get, I started hating everyone. I started hating all my liberal friends, just being like all your protests, all your, all your activism, you're such phonies and you're, you don't know how to do this and you're so destructive and like, Oh my God, like I can't sit at another fucking dinner and have people talk to me about the justice system who have no idea what they're talking about and have people just blah, 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 blah echo chamber. I got so sick of it. And so the first things that happened before I was um, on this, you know, you know, spiritual monk, whatever kind of thing, kind of journey, I was just straight up like I stopped talking to people the way that they talk to each other and the way that they demand of me to communicate with them. I just adjusted to become so like, first of all, I started like just cutting things off. Like, like there was a, there were, I, I remember um, I slowed down like my socializing and my best friend in LA was like worried about me because I went from this, like, she was worried about me that I was like a sex addict. And then she was worried about me that I was like depressed because I stopped like going to, you know, social things. And so she made me go to this, like, I had some friends in town and they were at a bar and it was like, Oh, you know, I actually like those people. And she, I was like, Oh, but there's going to be other people there and it's going to be terrible. And I don't want to go. And she was like, no, 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 come on. I'll drop you off. Like, just go. And, and anyway, I went and I had to say to this person, this was the first time that I started communicating this way. And then it changed. Um, but what I said in that moment, she started talking about Trump and she started talking about the justice system and it was very ignorant. And I didn't know this particular person, but I knew her bosses really, really well. I knew the marketing agency that she worked at and they were stupid and they were like, it was like bullshit celebrity stuff. And I know that this is not a person who's like well-educated on the justice system. And I'll never forget what she was talking about where she was saying the juries should be blind and they shouldn't have the information about the case and stuff like that. And I was like, so you want them to make their decisions on lesson? Like, it was just a really, really, really stupid and ignorant uh, conversation. And I was, I said to her polite, you know, I said, Hey, like, you know, 
with respect, like I totally get that you're, you know, you're into this, but like, I'm just having a drink right now with some friends and like, it's, it's really nice talking to you, but like, can we avoid like that? And can we avoid Donald Trump? Like, let's just not talk about it. Like, I just want to have like a no Donald Trump, you know, and this is 2016. This is early days. This is like, you know, he had just been elected and I was already there that I don't want to talk to like liberal idiots about this stuff. And, um, yeah. And I, when I say liberal idiots, like I am a liberal idiot, but, um, I don't want to talk echo chamber. And, and I said it to her and she, she just, it was like three things in a row until I had to get up and leave. I had to, I had to just say goodbye. Cause she couldn't not do it. And I, I got up and left. I, I said, yo, like with love, like, I just can't, I, I'm, this is not going to be my evening. It's like my, it's my night and I'm not going to allow it. Um, so that was the first thing that I did. The second thing that I started doing was I, would just answer i would just refuse i had i had um i would just say i'm just alive so people would ask me oh cool like where do you live uh what do you do what have you been up to blah 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 depending on their you know um knowledge of you know how how well we know each other and i just i just like stopped answering getting to know you questions and i stopped answering like bullshit catch up small talk cocktail hour questions and i would just say like i'm just alive i'm here right now like i like i started like that was how i would talk to people and they'd be like what do you do and i'd be like and i I would put my hands behind my back and i'd have this look on my face and i'd look them straight in the eye and i would just maintain my you know my position and i did that for a little while for a few months before i ejected completely and stopped going but I did that for a while and it was, yeah, man. I mean, I can imagine the most fucking irritating person of all time. Um, and yeah, like, cause, cause uh, all these people are out there just trying to, I remember like, this was when I started having, you know, more soul searching conversations with friends who I was like, why are you doing this? You know, and friends who would like, there was a particular friend I've never forgotten this. Cause he said, it's so, no one ever said it so directly to me that, uh, he was in, this is Los Angeles and he was a, you know, a freelance A&R. And this is a guy who I, 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 you know, I see you every night. I see, anytime I go out, you're always at no name or you're always at tenants of the trees or like the, the trendiest places. And, you know, drinks are like $17 and 50 cents, you know, at these places. And you're, you're always, you have like six probably every time I see you, something like that. And you're not like, on a company dime you're not you don't have an expense account and no one's buying you these drinks like and they're not open bar like sometimes you i'm sure you go to lots of open bars but i see you all the time just at the spot drinking you know around 20 dollar cocktails all night why do you do this like why do you spend your time this way because you're just chilling for like three hours every night you're spending like three hours drinking alcohol shooting the shit with random people like every single night and you're spending like a hundred two hundred dollars a night to do that and you know i know how much money you make like you can't afford that and he said i do it to stay relevant yeah and that i mean i I, fuck like and that's why people don't wear masks and that's why people are in this in uh, you know partying in the streets right now and refusing to, you know, take care of themselves because they need to stay relevant and they are lonely and they're terrified of, of loneliness. And Yeah, they, they need to do it. I, I need to get going in a second. But the, yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's all been like hyper exposed right now. 
You know what I mean? So it's like people can't afford. It's the biggest driver in the world. People can't afford to stay still. And, and that's really terrifying, but that's, you know, the most important thing I do is I have unstructured free time. That's the most important thing I do is do (laughs) the most important thing I do is do nothing. Yeah. And that's, that's that's actually a service to myself and the world. And that's, I understand how that's hard to explain to people and why that would make people angry because that, that makes people angry that you're threatening their life. Like literally, like you're calling that dude out and being like, your life sucks. And he's like, no way, dude. Like, I'm actually ruling it right now. Your life sucks. Yeah. Cause I have no, I don't come back. I, I, you know, I don't think I, now that we've talked for a while, like I don't, I don't go tit for tat. <laughs> you know, I don't. Uh, well, because like, you, 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 you already took stock of that's a my value system. That's a checkmate. Totally off, yeah. uh, that's a checkmate scenario. Like game's over. Like there's no more game right. to be played. Yeah. I'm not even, I'm, I'm asking you about your game and you could tell me about your game. And I'm learning about your game, but I have no nothing on my side to offer because I'm not part of that game. Well, and more importantly, what I've learned is that you can actually injure yourself and other people if you push them past their consciousness. Like that's a very fucking dangerous yeah, I, thing. Yeah, I didn't yell at my friend when he told me that. I, I accepted it and I'm telling, I'm, I, I did not talk back to, I did not say you're a fucking idiot. You're ruining your life. I did not I say used that to do. I used to do that in gentle and not so gentle ways. And, and I'm really glad to not have to do it anymore, which is a tremendous luxury. I don't do it. You know. I genuinely, I, um, what's the purpose, you know, what, what's the directive of this? What's the objective of this conversation? How am I, I want to make people feel good. I'm not talking out of charity. I want to build a better world and I want to be the center of it. I want to, I, I think I am the most powerful person to ever exist. And I want to make that person who I know I'm talking to some person, you know, I want to make that person an ally and more powerful. So I do not I will be critical of people. I will yell at someone when I think that serves them, but I don't do it at, out of expressing myself. I don't do it out of principle. I never value being right. I, I have started to consider the L's that I take, the losses that I take as the most powerful like that's the most that's the big like i have ammunition i have like a tool belt that you don't have because i take l's and you think l's are 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 tangible losses and i think they are ammunition i think oh i can take all your bullets and that become and then i could just stand there and be like okay but i'm still you just shot me seven times but i'm still asking the same question can we get an answer please yeah and like I could do I mean, that. You're, you're, you're talking about patience, but that's an emotional bank account. You know, I mean, that's really, sure. you're, you sound fucking awesome, man. <laughs> you <laughs> you sound too. really good. Yeah. Sounds, sounds perfect, man. Keep, keep, keep calm. I mean, I don't know what you're doing next, but I'm super excited to see. I'll, I'll send you the film. That's, yes, that's please. what I'm doing next. It's, yeah, it's premiering good. in September yeah, uh, and lots of new music. You know what? I'll send you a, there's, uh, it's very, it has an act break. And I realize it's very like after your, I'll send you those two things. Um, yeah. I'm really excited for your new album. The first three, I think three, maybe three songs, right? Are out? Uh, yeah, there's three songs out already. The whole thing comes out on the 24th of July. 24th. It's awesome. The, the new song that came out today is like a 10 minute, like spiritual, like house music, like Balearic, just jam, like hands in the air listen by yourself on headphones or listen with 10,000 people in a field spinning around in circles. It's, it's uplifting. It's beautiful. It's 
uh, spiritual. It's, it's really, really nice. And it's all about world building. And, and, you know, that's what I think you're applying your learning so, so beautifully. And I love, by the way, we didn't even, you know, invoke him here, but Joachim, like fucking the best. Um, so I love that you're at a crowd spacer. Um, he's amazing. And yeah, dude, yeah, this is, this is so, so cool to, to go in on all of this. We've known each other very, very peripherally for a while and I've admired your work since I'm a fucking kid. Um, so this, this is an honor and a pleasure and, and I learned a lot and thank you. Thanks for having me, man. It was really nice to get to know you and I hope, I hope to stay in touch in the future. Definitely. Definitely. All right, man, right, we'll stay safe and keep it, keep, keep moving. I can't wait to hear the new music. <laughs> right and on, I man. love the videos too. Watch the videos. The videos are great. Yeah. They're animated and they're like really, really beautiful. Cool, dude. All right, man. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Ciao. If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair.